It's Thursday. Today is Thursday. I've brought you the greatest gift of all. Oh, yeah? Well, in that case... Entertain me! It's showtime. Make use of the help that God puts around you. We are not a glum lot. A promise is a promise. It's very simple. Just don't drink and go to meetings. Give time, time. Easy does it. I do it. Want to have self-esteem? Just do esteemable things. One day at a time. We carry the message, not the alcoholic. Don't quit before the miracle happens. We're the defective characters. Three guys sitting around talking about our personal experience in recovery. Hey, I'm Mike. I'm Dennis. Uh, James here. The opinion we don't represent any particular organization, institution, or fellowship. Today, Paul will be sharing his experience, strength, and hope with us in this episode 35 of the Defective Characters Podcast. Let's go. Hey guys, how's it going? Hey. Good. Buddy. Hello. We're yeah. doing it again. James, can you introduce Paul? Sure, guys. Um, so I'm not. I don't think I've actually met Paul in person, which goes hand in hand what he was just talking about. Um, the first time I heard him speak was at a primary purpose Zoom group. And um, Paul, if I've met you at one of Ashley's parties, I'm sorry. I. I... <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, he's um he's my he's my wife's sister's boyfriend, so I guess he's part of the family. And um, you know, it's pretty cool. It's, uh, the one the first time I heard him share, uh, I really liked his share. It was suggested that he'd have a, a good uh story to tell. So we're all about like you know, being a tool for people to get the message out and to be of service. So I'm, I'm really excited to hear you. And nice to meet you, Paul. Yeah, you're welcome. No problem. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm, I'm Paul. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date's August 3rd, 2014. Um, I have a sponsor in a home group. My home group's from the, from the Heart Men's Group. I believe, you know, as far as I know, when, when the program started, it, it started by taking you through the steps and then you started going to meetings, you know, and they had meetings for new people to to find recovery and share their problems. And then, you know, they would take them through the steps. But uh, as far as I know, in the, in the beginning of the program, there wasn't, you know, there was maybe one meeting a week or they'd meet once a week or something like that, where it says faith has to live through us, in and through us 24 hours a day or we perish. Um, you know, it really forced me to, uh, to stay and trust God and, and stay connected with God and, you know, stay, stay in prayer and um, I actually, what I did was I um, found someone to go back through the steps with me or take me back through the steps, you know, did another fourth and fifth step, six and seven, working on my eight, nine, nine step, you know, the best I can right now. It's kind of hard to contact people and things like that. But um, also, you know, the Zoom meetings have been really great and actually really convenient, um, especially for you know, a lazy alcoholic like me, because I don't even have to leave the house and I can go to 10 <laughs> meetings a day if I want. And, you know, it could also be it could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing because um, it just depends on, on my my level of participation, um, <clears throat> because, you know, I could be on a Zoom meeting all day, but not really participate in one of them and just kind of listen in, not have my camera on. But um, if you discipline yourself and sit there for you know the actual hour get on early sit there talk to people uh, participate in the meeting share but it's really great because i don't know 
like myself and my girlfriend and I'm sure a lot of other people, we don't know what what I'd be doing if it wasn't for those Zoom meetings, you know, it's pretty awesome. I, I uh, <clears throat> you know, remember seeing, I think it was in the forward to the fourth edition or one of them, but it's talking about AA's meeting online all over the world and stuff. But I, I you know, recovery begins when one alcoholic connects with another somewhere in this world one alcoholic is connecting with another something like that but um yeah we're it's just modem to modem yeah that's that's what it is and uh yeah it's just, i've never actually experienced it i always thought i was one of the ones that kind of thought it was weird or you know, like i was more nervous about doing a meeting online on zoom or over the phone or whatever than in person you know because i don't know it was just weird to me at first but yeah. Um, but then again, you know, you got to get uncomfortable to get comfortable. So, but, um, yes, <clears throat> you know, it's, um, as far as like my program though, um, you know, I think my, my faith in God, I know he's taking care of me. Um, you know, I've, I've been a sower since August 3rd of 2014. I came out here from phoenix arizona to jacksonville florida and uh you know i've been through some my sobriety hasn't been easy my recovery hasn't been easy I, well I, I actually work with a few different people that i've had multiple sponsors i i really consider you know i have one sponsor that i stay accountable to and then i i work with pretty much anyone that you know that can help me grow or i can help grow in the program um i was always kind of uh directed to do that you know feel free to work with who i want to work with you know um <clears throat> but uh anyways i'm from phoenix arizona um you know i kind of uh try to i'm gonna try to talk more about you know my drinking and you know basically my my thought patterns and my behaviors as it pertains to drinking but um you know some of the the things they say about alcoholics is that we're we're delusional and <clears throat> basically i had all these these ideas these lies that i believed even before you know i ever drank and um <clears throat> one of them was that you know i i thought and you know how they say your alcoholic life seems the only normal one but basically whatever life i had lived and i the way i grew up <clears throat> was normal to me and anything else seemed different or weird but, uh, you know, I didn't really have a normal childhood compared to, to other people. You know, I kind of grew up in um, a dysfunctional alcoholic family, which at the time I thought was normal. Um, you know, it wasn't until I, I uh, got sober and I was doing my, my fist step with my sponsor that uh, he pointed out to me that I was basically a welfare child. And I was like, what? I'm like, no, I wasn't. You know, and, and it was like, it was crazy because like, I thought in my mind, it was like I grew up <clears throat> by the time I was 12. I thought I was like an adult, you know, I, I wasn't no longer a kid. Like that's, I considered my childhood from like 12 and under 10 and under. But, um, you know, I remember uh, <clears throat> as far as like things I've been addicted to and, and just even before I ever had a drink or a drug. Um, one of the first, my first addictions, well, obviously was sugar, but, uh, I used to, um, choke myself till I was about to pass out. 
like in bed and I don't know why I used to do that, but I think it used to change the way I felt. Um, <clears throat> I just, I remember <clears throat> as a young kid having this feeling of like being unloved, like I wasn't loved or <clears throat> it was like emptiness or, or something was missing. Like I was, you know, eight years old and I was depressed and, and trying choking myself till I passed out with the belt, you know, laying in bed and, you know, I remember not, I, I was never able to sleep as a kid. My mind was always racing at night. And uh, <clears throat> I always had like really bad dreams and nightmares and stuff like that. And um, I was always restless and irritable and, and discontent. I remember like my mom trying to dress me as a kid for school and she'd give me a shirt. And if I didn't like the way it felt or whatever it was, I was like, it, 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 um, gave me the heebie-jeebies and, and was like I, I'd rip it off and I'd be like I'm not going to school and I'd freak out and you know go crazy just because I didn't like the way I felt you know I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin I was so afraid of like other people and uh you know <clears throat> kind of how I, I started drinking was after uh, my parents were divorced and my dad was kind of gone doing his thing and uh my mom would uh she would drink Coors Light the silver bullets and she she uh <clears throat> she would always bring a case of that home like almost every day and I just remember one day I was in the fridge and there was nothing to eat and I got mad um so I I kind of just started stealing her beers and drinking them um <clears throat> but uh so that was kind of my first introduction to alcohol um I guess I, I grew up kind of in an alcoholic environment, so pretty much uh, it was normal to to drink, and there was nothing nothing really wrong with it. Um, I did learn from my older brother's friends at a young age that um, when you drink, you don't waste beer, and, and you chug it, you know, and you drink to get... It was like, from right away, I learned that, you know, you, you, you don't drink for the taste, you drink for the effect, you know, and um, I didn't really like beer too much because I had to drink too much in order to get a buzz. And I was, you know, I was a really skinny kid and didn't have much of an appetite. But when I discovered vodka and, you know, I can drink that really easily and take a couple swigs and, and be buzzed and that was a lot easier and, uh, you know, I remember um, I was uh, I started I got introduced to smoking weed and I was basically, you know, eighth, seventh, eighth grade. And it was like basically it was at that age, the point where I wouldn't go to school if I wasn't high or I didn't want to go to school unless I was high, which was kind of crazy being that young, you know, and in high school bringing uh, bottles of uh, water bottles full of uh, vodka or rum mixed with orange juice or soda to class, you know, drinking in, in first, uh, the first period class or whatever and getting so drunk in school that I had to just leave. And, um, you know, that was all normal to me. I didn't really see that as a, as an issue. And, uh, of course, you know, it's progressive and everything. And, um, <clears throat> you know, later on down the road, things happen, traumatic experiences in my life. And, 
I lost my father when I was 19. He was uh, killed over some meth and he was homeless at the time. And, <clears throat> you know, I got introduced to some, some harder stuff and really my life went, went downhill from there. And, and after that point, pretty much 19 on, it was like, I was, I was no longer using uh, because I wanted to, or for fun, it was because I had to, in order to, to cope with life or to live, you know, and um, basically that went on and on and, you know, jails, institutions and all that fun stuff. And I uh, did a little trip in prison and started going to detox once I got out of there and, you know, started drinking and using again and started going to detox, you know, once every six months and then once every three months. And then it was like almost every month. And then, going in and out of jail every month for the same warrants and stuff. They'd let you out and be like, all right, I'll, you know, I'll see you in a month. And I never show up to my court day because I'm out using or I'm, you know, detoxing or sick and, and don't make it and keep getting arrested for the same things. And, you know, by the time I was 27, um, I was, you know, homeless. My, I couldn't go around my family's house because I was, uh, klepto and you know anything i can get my hands on that was worth any money that i can use to get drugs or alcohol with um i would take it you know and that's pretty much and you know i knew i was hurting people and i was hurting myself but you know this this thing in my head would be like um i'm just gonna take this now and i'll figure out a way how to to uh, replace it later I'll pay you back later one day I'll make it right to you but you know you don't understand I, I have to I have to get well I have to stay well I'm sorry sorry I'm like this or whatever but I gotta do it's your fault anyways that I'm like this anyways you know I never asked you to to have me you know towards my mom and stuff like that and you know I was just I don't know and I was like if uh if you did what I did, or if you tried the things I did, then you would understand why I was the way I was. You've been through what I've been through kind of thinking, you know, and I had this obsession or this, this idea that if I can just figure out a way to never run out or to, to make a certain amount of money or to, to come up like one good time and never run out, that everything would be okay. If I, Basically, if I had an endless amount of drugs and alcohol, then, then everything would be okay and I could be a functioning member of society because I wouldn't have to steal from people and, you know, do this and that and go to jail. Um, I was trying to find a way to, to use successfully and to be a productive member of society, but, you know, those two things just don't go together for me. Um, and uh, basically, you know, I... Uh, my life got really dark, really dark and, and empty and painful. And it was it was to the point where, you know, I didn't I didn't really care if I, I woke up or, or whatnot, but I didn't want to kill myself because I, then I couldn't get high anymore. You know, and that's how powerless I was. And, you know, during the times that like I was on probation and whatever else and I was I had to try to control my, my drinking and using I was miserable you know, and uh, <clears throat> the only time that I was enjoying it when, is when I wasn't trying to control it. And, you know, that's when I was a mess and getting in trouble. And I pretty much gave up on 
even trying to get clean anymore, trying to get sober. I, I just gave up on that idea. I didn't, I, I got tired of beating myself up. It was too painful. And I would told myself the lie that I, I wanted to be that way. And the lie was that I thought I was choosing to be that way, that I, that I wanted to be, you know, the way I was. And, um, <clears throat> but it wasn't until I got sober that, you know, I had a good sponsor um, that uh, pointed out that I didn't choose to do all these things, you know, that I was powerless over drugs and alcohol and my life was unmanageable. And basically all these things are just where, where, where the alcohol and the drugs took me. Um, you know, I never chose to go to prison. I never, you know, I didn't even really choose to steal these things. It was like I had to do it in order to get, to get what I needed. Um, not that that's an excuse for my behavior. I, I take full responsibility of all the, all the actions I did, but that's just the reality of this disease is I have a disease, um, you know, physical because I have an allergy. Once I, once I use or take a drink, then, you know, I'm, I'm not going to stop and I'm going to need more and more and I don't know where it's going to take me. Um, you know, and the, but the problem is if I just had that allergy, I could just, you know, be like, you know what, that's bad for me. I'm not allowed to drink because I have an allergic reaction, but I have this obsession that, you know, I have these mental blank spots that I don't think about the consequences. I don't think about the pain. I don't think about my mother's face or, or my family or, you know, my future or my finance. I don't think about any of that when I pick up that first drink. All I'm thinking about is the effect produced by, by alcohol. You know, <clears throat> I'm just, that's all I can think about is that obsession. And then, you know, then I, I take that drink and then I'm like, oh man, why did I do that? I wasn't, oh, well, you know, it's too late now. Might as well, you know, now I'm off again. But, uh, you know, and then the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous tells me that, you know, I have a spiritual malady that I'm, I'm selfish and I'm self-centered. And, um, you know, selfishness is the root of my problems. I'm driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion and self-pity. And uh, that was really hard for me to, to see at first. And, you know, when it talks about we straighten out spiritually and then men mentally and physically, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I couldn't really see how that was, but I, I knew something was wrong with me and I needed help. And uh, basically kind of what happened to me was I um, got down on my knees to pray one day and I kind of broke down on the ground uh, of the, the floor of my room and had a spiritual experience. And I had that feeling, um, that feeling of like real joy and peace and something came through me and, uh, it was nothing like I've ever felt before. And I realized, you know, this is what I've been looking for my entire life. This is what I was looking for in drugs and alcohol was was this joy this peace or whatever it was that that came from my higher power and um from that point on you know i became willing to to do whatever that power told me to do which was basically just simply just to do the 12 steps and uh do what my sponsor tells me to do and um stay out of self and and try to help others and be be useful and keep myself spiritually fit and um you know not pick up a drink or a drug you know i i basically lost all my rights to 
to use and drink. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> yeah, so I just, uh, I don't know. I try to, you know, the thing is, is like keeping it fresh and all that is, uh, I, I gotta be, you know, surrounded by others in the fellowship and working with other people in the program. Um, preferably, you know, newcomers. And that's one of the, the hard things about right now is I haven't been to a, uh, like a detox meeting or treatment center. When I was new, my, my cousin's boyfriend who I was living with, um, <clears throat> he was doing a commitment in a, in a rehab and he would take me with him every Tuesday you know, and I was, I was still like withdrawing and I was going to these meetings and it was awesome. And, you know, I fell in love. Like those are my favorite type of uh, meetings is uh, hospitals and institutions and stuff like that. And uh, it just keeps it green for me. And there's, there's something about those meetings or when you go in there and tell your story that you can be having the worst day or the worst week or the worst month. And, you go in there and you're just, everything's different. By the time you leave, you're completely lifted up. Like your problems are, you, you no longer, your problems are really nothing compared to what you think they are. There's always someone going through something worse than you. And, and that's what's helping me right now too, is just realizing that I'm not the only one who is going through what I'm going through with the whole virus and lockdown, quarantine and people losing their jobs and all that. And, um, you know, I know that God's brought me this far and he's not going to drop me now and whatever happens, you know, God is everything or else he's nothing. And, you know, uh, a good man I used to work with, uh, his name was Benny, but, uh, you know, I would go to him, be going crazy and this and that. And he'd be like, what do you, he's like, do you have a God in your life? And I'd be like, yeah. And he's like, well, then what the heck are you worried about? You know, without cussing I'm saying it but uh you know and I was like wow I never you know really thought about it like that you know you just put things in, in perception and um you know if I have if I believe I have a God in my life that's taking care of me I turn my will and my life over to this God then I really have nothing to worry about you know uh, I just do the next right thing and do what's in front of me and uh, be willing to to do what's in front of me and that's it awesome really appreciate you brother uh i'm like a alcoholic um so much i can i Hi, Mike. With your story starting with when you started uh drink you after divorce being here uh you know my first uh experience one where I actually got the very first time you'd think maybe that time that I, you know, getting caught uh, at the time drinking and smoking pot and it didn't stop me, you know, just kind of fueled it more because it was a bit of the, uh, you know, getting caught the first time. It's like, okay, well, you know, it's I expect that I'll do it again, you know, and uh, after getting caught, uh Using, uh, you mentioned about, uh, you know, using that feeling of using because you needed to rather than uh, even when you didn't want to. 
And there was uh, my first sponsor said to me, you know, like, when, when did you feel that? And did you, you know, were alcoholic or an addict at that point? And I said, no, it was just the reality that I was faced with. And, you, you know, you brought that up of it's kind of a threshold of, okay, I know I need this. I wish I didn't, but I do. So I will. And, um, you know, certain things, uh, the meetings, one of the first meetings that I went to when I heard about uh, the allergy uh, being an alcoholic and somebody said, you know, I'm allergic to it. And I know that it's an allergy where, you know, you could break out in handcuffs and everybody laughs outside of the rooms. If you say that, man, they don't get it. You know, they, they really don't think that there's much humor in it. And there's, there's probably not. It's a reality of, I know I can't, you know, to stay as much as possible. And the best thing is to put things in the program in between me and that drink or that drug, you know, like meetings, like fellowship, uh, like steps and principles. So I do anything that I can to make sure that that's, that's there in between and uh, going to newcomer meetings for me is very important. Uh, you know, my first home group was one that was very raw. They would actually bring a bus from the rehab with, you know, 20, I guess they would be called clients, 20 uh, individuals and every single Tuesday and Thursday night, they would be there. So it would be like the meeting coming to us because the rehab was just five miles down the road and it was the easiest one they could get to. And it was important to me. And still to this day, um, you know, I'm thankful that with the Zoom meetings that are happening now, I can actually connect with some people that I haven't seen in a very long time in Vermont since moving here four years ago. Um, you know, so it's, it's really great that we're allowed to do that. And just one of the things that I'm grateful for. Uh, so thank you for reminding me that. Yeah, you're welcome. Dennis. Thanks, Mike. Dennis, alcoholic. Uh, thanks for sharing your story, Paul. Um, one thing that I, I highly relate to is, is when you were in high school, you used to take vodka and stuff in a plastic water bottle or whatever. I used to do the same thing, except we used Mountain Dew bottles because they were green and we thought we were smart and we're able, like, if it's green, you can't see what's in it. It just looks like Mountain Dew. So we would, like, get drunk at school. Uh, back then, I thought it was cool, you know? I was, like, the rebellious kid, the bad kid or whatever. We did, you know? We get class, we smoke behind the auditorium we cliche bad kids a lot of fun um but the problem for me was is that it stopped being fun it's it you know as life went on and i got older and stuff like that i was still thinking that same way as like a 15 year old kid and meanwhile other people that i knew and family members were like growing up and going to college and getting to you know, careers and having kids and getting married and stuff. And here I was still thinking I was cool that I was getting away with something that I probably wasn't really getting away with. And, uh, you know, it was depressing and, and kind of eye-opening later in life. Um, I also like the way you talked about the obsession 
Um, for me, the exception was very similar and to the point where, you know, when I wanted to drink or use or whatever, that is literally the only thing that I thought about or even cared about. You know, I would steal from my parents or steal from friends or loved ones. And I would skip work. I would do whatever it took. And that's literally all that I focused on. And it's horrible because, like, I would, you know, get drunk or whatever the next day. I'd be hungover. Like, oh, I'm never doing that again. And then by 5 o'clock that afternoon, I'm, that's all I'm doing. That's trying to do that, trying to use or drink. And, you know, the next day I'd wake up and feel all guilty and shameful. Like, you know, I didn't want to drink. Why did I drink? But I would do it all again. And it was just this repetitive cycle. And so, you know, eventually I couldn't do it anymore. And I couldn't even function as a human being. Um, you also mentioned how early on in life you didn't feel like you belonged or felt loved or whatever. And you kind of found that in drugs but then you didn't find it again through the rooms and I I definitely feel that way like early on in life I never felt like I fit in anywhere and I thought I found that in people I did drugs with and, with and stuff like that and you know after years of doing that then I again felt like I didn't belong anywhere. I didn't fit in I didn't feel loved or anything and it was a long time that I felt that way. And then when I came into AA, you know, and like opened up to people and met people and did steps and stuff like that, I found it. I found what I was looking for, but it looked way different and way better than I even thought it was going to be, you know. And it, it's, uh, I don't know. I think like I am grateful for like AA and the fellowship that's around me and the people and that are around me and being able to do this podcast and hear like people I don't even know like you I've never met you or whatever but I got to hear your story today and I got a lot out of it so uh I'll end with that and uh thank you again for sharing you're welcome thank you hi James alcoholic um again thank you Paul for uh, coming on um you know we we didn't give you that much notice but uh you know when the hand of AA calls, I don't know about you, but I like to say yes, and you certainly did. And I loved your story. I heard a lot of the solution, and I heard a lot of God, and um, that always just warms my heart. And I, I identified with a, a lot in your story. Um, I certainly know what it's like to have those water bottles filled with anything but water. And, uh, you know, my thing was getting the big gulp cups uh, filled with uh, strawberry beer and then putting the cinnamon whiskey in it. So I would have this huge big gulp and I, it looked like a fruit punch. And I would just walk around like thinking I was the shit, you know. God, it was horrible. Um, you know what else? I, I also, when you were talking about um, being a klepto, I was the same way with, you know, the people I loved when I was 
sick in my addiction, I would just scour the house for any kind of gold, any kind of thing that I could pawn so I could just get a little bit of money, like not even a tenth of what it's worth, just to get something in my body because I didn't have any money. You know, I didn't have any, and I, I knew that that was the easiest way to get it. And I thought the same way, like, I'll, I'll replace it. You know, it'll be okay. Uh, they'll forgive me. If only they'll forgive me. They love me. Meanwhile, I was just just doing horrible things. Um, and then my one of my favorite parts was when you were talking about how you got on your knees and you were in the the dark part of your life. You know, I I was I too was there, and that that feeling of peace that just overcomes you, where like the light switches turn on, and you're like, oh wow, there really is a God. There really is a God that loves me, and I can really start to change my life. Um, before I, I, I got to that dark point in my life, I, I too, like you said, you know, F it. And I was, I had been in and out of AA for years trying to get sober. I couldn't do it. And at one point, I was just like, yeah, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I just, this is what I do. I'm just going to continue to do drugs and alcohol. There's nothing I can do about it. I've tried AA. It doesn't work. And I was out there for six years. And in that six years, I dug myself further and further into the ground. And where I got to that jumping off point. And, and like you, you know, I felt that, that peace and that, that comfort from my higher power. And I haven't gone back since. It's just been a whole new experience. I went back to the rooms and I felt... Like, I could do this, and I, I have. I've done it, and I love helping people. Um, I, I prayed just the other day for God to put someone in front of me that I could help, and I met someone uh, in the morning meetings, and uh, he had, he reached out for help, and I, I called him, and I said, you need to get a sponsor, um, and he called me like the next day and he's like, will you be my sponsor? I was like, yeah. So I'm taking him through the book and there is nothing better than just getting back into the book, going through it with the new sponsee and just all these questions they have. I, and I love the way you talked about the, the allergy and the obsession of the mind. I, I didn't get that for a while. I was like, what do, what do you mean an allergy? I, that's for one set clicked. I'm like, oh yeah, I can't ever take a drink. Okay. Um, anyways, I uh, look forward to meeting you in person. Uh, thanks again for being part of us. Uh, God bless you. Thank you so much, Paul. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, guys. So we'll be back next Thursday sharing our experience, strengthening hope with you on episode 36 with an effective character who's entirely ready to have these character defects removed. Remember, it's not for those who want it or those who need it or it works for those who do it. And we'll see you next time.